Welcome to With Zero Authority. I'm Corey. I'm Will. Will, we uh, we bombed yeah. Syria, or we missiled we did, Syria. We, we did the thing. So I think bombing's um, like planes drop bombs, not the case here. We launched missiles yeah, no, from naval ships. It was a missile launch. Uh, so let's try to unpack this, because we obviously can't have a podcast episode without talking about this, if we're going to be somewhat topical. Sure. Um, so what happened? Why did we do it? Uh, well, let's go into what we did. This is laid out yeah, in context. Sure, no. So basically, Absolutely. I think the count was 57, 59, 62, who knows, but somewhere around there. Tomahawk and missiles. And like two failed, but yeah. it's all good. We launched yeah. them from U.S. naval ships uh, into Syria, targeting a particular mm-hmm. airbase, the name of which I don't remember. Don't know if it's all that consequential right now. Um, and we did this essentially with um, no one having a clue it was going to happen. I think there was word passed out to Russia just before. And I'm sure we told our allies, but the general public was totally taken aback and by surprise by this. Yeah. I mean, let's let's try to unpack what we did with regards to to notifying uh, the Federation. We said uh, through our deconfliction channels, which Putin threatened to close because of this, but uh, we essentially gave them fair warning. We did this in uh, the Korean War as well, when we thought we were going to be hitting targets that could have Russian personnel. We did it in Vietnam. It's kind of standard IR practice. Yeah, uh, definitely. Because you don't want a a a, uh, a proxy war to become a physical war. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like like a, a, a direct conflict. Um, so Russia knew. So here we are. Yeah, so Russia um, And Trump really, I mean, so everyone remembers um, pre-Trump, uh, the president Trump, um, candidate Trump was very pro-Assad. Candidate Trump was uh, applauding Assad for fighting ISIS. And now Trump is firing missiles at him. So maybe we can start there. Maybe we can talk about, I mean, what's, what is your, what's your input, what's your insight into this version of Trump who's now attacking Assad um, versus the candidate Trump who wanted to support him. Um, the information in the news obviously was, uh, and Trump has put this out, that this attack was triggered by Assad deciding to use chemical weapons. But was that it in your mind? Was that truly the only thing that changed? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, no, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. Uh, I think something changes uh, when... There are just photos of dead children. I, I think that's sure. always kind of the case. Like whether it's the Ottawa Treaty or now, photos of dead kids always tend to kind of provoke some sort of reaction. And I don't think it was any different here. So there was there used to always be sort of the the Fox News effect, right, where something would be spoken about on Fox News extensively, and people inside the uh, the Bush White House or in the Obama years in Congress would say, "Oh, something needs to be done." I think that kind of extends to uh, to the White House today. Right. Uh, I think that the extensive coverage that this uh, this attack that included sarin gas, uh, which is an ugly way to die, um, I, I think that that changed kind of his personal perspective. But I also think that when it comes to the internal power struggle in the White House, and I guess we'll talk about this later in the show, but... Uh, one specific branch of of ideology won out uh, 
Thursday night. So, yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's it's a whole lot of everything and a whole lot of nothing. These bombings are loud. Um, they're broadly proclaimed by both the media and the Trump administration itself, but they are, at the end of the day, it seems kind of strategically pointless. Like, last night, yeah. they were already uh, using the uh, the runway again. Right, right, right. And that, that's so, not the intention, right? So the attack didn't achieve the outcome I think that they wanted it to achieve. But I guess the reason why I asked that question, it's, it sounds like a really stupid question, you know, Trump's on record as saying chemical weapons, not going to stand for it. Now it's time for me to change my position and I'm going to attack you. But I kind of asked a question out of curiosity about whether or not things are changing within the administration in the sense that um, sensible people or at least um, the new National Security Council appointees, uh, maybe they're able to get Trump's ear a bit more now. Maybe this is a consequence of some sort of stability being introduced within that cabinet. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a total if, uh, guess at this point. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if this was the sensible thing to do. That so that's a separate conversation that I think we should have. And so probably not the best word there for me to use sensible, but this is a big change for Trump, right? So yeah, this is a huge shift in policy. Was it just Trump as an individual deciding now, you know, my personal position changes now, or is this evidence that, you know, and maybe this is a, a good thing that'll help people feel a bit, a bit better and sleep a bit better at night. The idea that um, Trump isn't running a monk as a crazy singular individual. There's more going on in that cabinet. There's more discussion. There's more people involved. And this is I the think conclusion it's more that of the they latter. came to. I think it's more of the latter. I, I think it's exactly what you're outlining. Um, I think it's individuals within the administration. I was, yeah. One's left to wonder, right? There's no way to prove it. Um, this total, the accounts you get from what's going on within the White House are everything from total disarray to some semblance of crazy, it's working to, no, things are great. So there's nothing we can look at as Americans to form some of judgment yeah. or basis of like what I, amount of confidence I, I, can we have in this administration and their ability to function day to day? I think I think the question now becomes did he make a mistake in doing this without the authorization of Congress? Um, and I don't know where I stand on that. Do you have anything you need to get off your chest when it comes <laughs> to, uh, to, um, to the AUMF? I mean, my first response uh, is always, uh, let's not pretend that this surprises us. Let's not pretend yeah. that another, you know, this president has acted, um, you know, so differently than past presidents in deciding to use the military without congressional approval. It happens practically every administration nowadays. You know, Obama did it with Libya. Uh, Bush did it with the lead up to invasion in Iraq. So this is business as usual. This is what American presidents do. And as a former military person and just like a, someone who believes that the United States should have a role in being a leader around the world and defending and fighting for democracy and the freedoms of people. I think it's a power that the president should have reserved uh, for his office. Um, I think there needs to be a limited window, and I think it's a 90-day window right now before he has to t turn to Congress and get their approval to continue a military engagement. Um, 
So I'm I'm okay. No, with but the power I, I think the question I think the question is we weren't bombing some um, some entity within a country where the state uh, that has the the sovereignty and the territoriality of that region, right? The territorial rights of that region have a shared interest. We were bombing uh, the Syrian government. Yeah, um, yeah, and 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 I think. From an international perspective, uh, that would probably be seen as an act of war. Uh, and the question then becomes, does he have the right to do that without getting authorization from Congress? And the reality is I don't know. Yeah, I, don't I, think, know. I think from a legal perspective, it's murky. Um, I don't think it's really cut and dry. I think based on... Looking at the last two presidencies and the fact that there was no legal action taken, um, precedence probably says this is okay, or at least there's not enough yeah. to say. I mean, it. We need to go after to a certain this. extent. Like the the first uh, AUMF that was handed out in like 2001. Am I right? 2001 was to go after Al Qaeda, right? Right. Um, and, and I guess being you the have, authorization of use of military force, of, right? Yeah, the utilization of yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and that that's been like kind of thrown around the last couple of years with regards to to ISIS and uh, and kind of their operations in in Syria and Iraq. But they're they're close enough to to Al Qaeda that you can almost make the justification that it kind of applies to them by extension. But to the Assad regime, um. That's a different question. This is a, a centralized state that we attacked. So I don't, I don't know. Well, what, I don't know. Do you not know enough yet to, for yourself, I don't think anybody answer the does. question of, should we have done this or should we not have done this? I, I don't know what I would have said if, if Trump had, had endorsed a policy of inaction when it, when it comes to responding to this. Right, um, which has been this country's policy for years now when it comes to Syria. Yeah. So I think, I think this sucks, but, but <laughs> war is never cool. Um, so yeah. Well, I, so I'm going to, I'm going to push murky, deeper with you legally. there on that. Like, why is it not cool? What are the consequences that lead you to, you know, like the, the situation in Syria is, is pretty clear. Um, I think yeah. most people are in agreement that Assad is committing crimes against humanity, mm-hmm. that his intentions are to wipe off, um, wipe out a segment of people yeah, yeah. that are against him I mean, by it's any not means exactly, necessary. Yeah. Why shouldn't we stop that? Because we did stop it before, I, and I, I don't know where I stand on this, but I'll play, I'll play the, the counterpoint to you uh, in this conversation. <laughs> we essentially had evidence that Saddam Hussein had utilized similar chemicals against uh, the Kurds, against some Yazidi groups in the region. Um, so we essentially deposed him. Right. Uh, And that was it. And then we learned from a decade of misadventures and follies in the region that that was maybe not the best idea. 
uh, because we left a void. Like the Bremer plan never truly worked out. Um, I I think Assad has to go. So I I don't agree with those who just blanketly say that we should leave him there because um, okay. obviously we shouldn't. But the question is now: Do they have a plan outside of just launching sixty or so rockets at an airbase? Right. Is that it? I right. In, like because in knows? one in one hand, right, we have we have this action where we launched missiles into into a country. Meanwhile, we're preventing uh, refugees fleeing the region from entering the United States. Right. Right. So, at the end of the day, the question comes down to what is our policy with respect to Syria. And I couldn't tell you. I don't think half of the people in the Trump administration could tell you. Yeah, I, I don't and think there is And that sucks. One. I don't think there's anything that is, you know, the, the formal plan, the signed off on strategy of how to handle and tackle Syria, what the goal is, what the desired end state is, I think yeah. they're just reacting. Now, that being said, when I say they don't have a plan, I do need to specify. Like, I really mean Trump doesn't have a plan because I promise you yeah. the military has a plan. HR Department McMaster of Defense has, has a plan. four, oh, he's four got, plans. Yeah, he's got a drawer full of <laughs> options that he could uh, pursue uh, if he were asked to achieve some objective, right? So I know Trump, yeah. you know for whatever reason, in the moment, finally decided to change his opinion and asked McMaster and the rest to make them pay, right? Show them that we were not going to stand for this. At that point, he hands it over to them, and they do their job, and they're good at doing their job. And unfortunately, the missiles didn't achieve the goal that they intended, but at the end of the day, um, they did what they were trained to do. But the question isn't really like, do they have a plan? It's, what the hell is Trump's plan? Like, yeah. is this just going to be a week-to-week temperamental how-he's-feeling kind of thing? And we can't handle something <laughs> like Syria that way. Jesus. Oh. Well, to yeah. your point, right? Like, if you have a strategy of uh, overturning Assad, you would think that would incorporate uh, welcoming all Syrian refugees into your country yeah. uh, as part of, like, a grander plan. Um, but it's pretty obvious that's not the case. Yeah, no, again, it just sucks. Like, I <laughs> I, I feel, like, and, and to the point you make about H.R. McMaster and, and the the uh, NSC, and we'll talk about kind of the withering influence of uh, Bannon in a bit, but just to kind of sum this whole thing up, this sucks. <laughs> I think I've said it maybe five times, because <laughs> who knows what, our policy should be with respect to this issue. Well, and it, it sucks for broader, um, more long-term potential reasons. Yeah, this has, right. This is our, this this is going to severely strain our relationship with Russia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, uh, could be, could be the beginning of something a lot more consequential. Um, I'm watching television and I'm hearing the words mission creep, right? And I'm not someone who pretends to understand anything about the uh, happenings in the U.S. military. But I feel like mission creep is kind of an erroneous uh, term. And I'm going to try to explain what I mean by that. It's not mission creep. Whenever you put troops on the ground or launch missiles at at a target, there are always 
other complications that come along with that that extend the mission, right? The United States has been saying the war will be over by Christmas since the first war we ever fought. Like, (laughs) we thought the War of 1812 would last, like, five days. The only time the United States military has actively engaged a belligerent and defeated them as quickly as they thought they would was, like, the quasi-wars. Yeah. And that was, like, against the French Navy, so... Very, very, very long time ago. Back in, back in the day when, just because we had better wood than they did, we were going to win the war. <laughs> like, things are a lot more complicated now. And when I, when I hear, like, oh, we have no, we have no uh, clear, concise, uh, coherent objective, kind of either with, established by the executive branch or the Pentagon... That sounds like General Westmoreland has has issued a request for five hundred thousand more troops to be in Saigon by the end of this month. Right? You know? Yeah, it, absolutely. It, like we keep doing this, yeah. um, and it just sucks. <laughs> well, there's a lot of things nowadays in modern war that are very different. Um, than past wars, right? So Mm -hmm. prior wars would tend to end earlier because the loss of life generally happened on a greater scale and uh, was much more brutal. uh, And uh, it wasn't profitable either. States just didn't have the ability. of the nation, right? You would reach a limit of your ability to wage war. Uh, Nowadays, war is exceptionally profitable. War is exceptionally good for the American economy. War is a blessing for a number of... uh, companies, contractors, and defense industry uh, groups. Uh, it's the best thing that could happen to their bottom line and their stock price. All right, so there's, yeah. there's motivations, uh, especially when you can imagine in those boardrooms, um, as ugly as this may sound, and there's no proof of this, but those conversations could easily go along the lines of, look, we're looking at you know $200 billion in profit at the expense of 2,000 American lives, soldiers' lives who signed up to do this anyways, and the greater good coming out of stabilizing that region for future life save, yada, 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 the scales tip in the favor of going to war. Um, yeah. It's too easy to wage war nowadays for the United States, especially when fiscally we'll happily print money I... to solve our debt problems. So, I mean, I'm yeah. starting to lean a little bit conspiracy theorist and a little bit libertarian here, but um, that's a real, those are real qualities, characteristics, um, and realities. And, and that then it the all landscape. comes back. Yeah. And then it all comes back to the AUMF and why yeah. the authorization is so important because who better to ask about going to war than the American people through the house of representatives, not through a select group, not through, okay, not through Jared Kushner, <laughs> like Jared <laughs> Kushner. And like, we're not going to talk about the Mar-a-Lago situation room setup that they had there. Like, cause we're, we're a mature show and we don't, <laughs> we don't also, we don't have the right to, to, to do that, but check it out to the two people that listen to this. Check it out. <laughs> But yeah, so let's let's move on because okay. my my blood is at like a boiling point. <laughs> well, uh, I, I think it may boil. And it's a only going to get worse. We'll see because I know yeah, our next with topic this one. Uh, happens to be Gorsuch and the fact that you know, no matter the amount of of uh, effort, energy, and uh, political capital you spend, at the end of the day, unfortunately, we have a Senate that still has the ability to just override the rules, kill the major 
or the greater 60% majority. And to be fair, Democrats have done it as well. But unsurprisingly, okay, we'll talk about that. McConnell also pulled the trigger. In this case, it Gorsuch through. Um, was yeah. there anything left on the table the Democrats could have done that they did not do? <laughs> that they hadn't already exhausted? No. Yeah. Uh, they, they were done. All they could do was force McConnell's hand. And I think the base really wanted this. And at the end of the day... If I were a Democratic senator, I'd have done this. I'd have done it as well. I would have voted lockstep against uh, Gorsuch. Also because he's not a mainstream justice. And kind of the overwhelming consensus among Democrats, and you see this with the picks that Clinton and, uh, and Obama put up, we like centrists on the court. Um, but for some reason, Republicans are always trying to push the envelope. So, picks. question for you: Is one man centrist, another man's extremist? I mean, from the Republican perspective, right? So we, sure, whomever yeah, Democrats, I, I Independents, are going to read their guy as being centrist when he may be, you know, considered extreme. Oh, um, I mean, they never made that justification for Gorsuch. Uh, <laughs> they they knew uh, it was it was made quite clear. They were they were pretty pretty obvious about where he stood. Uh, they didn't say he was a centrist at all. Um, yeah. In fact, that list from the Heritage Foundation that, that Trump had, he's right off of it. Right. Um, yeah. So I feel like that's all the indicators you need, really. So part of this is like... I mean, it's not like Elena Kagan is some, you know, fire-breathing, Barney Frank endorsing firebrand liberal <laughs> right so yeah i mean <laughs> this sucks <laughs> again I feel, I feel like Round the, the theme this of this sucks. week is this sucks um but yeah so you anything I, you have to say yeah so part of it is and this has been a theme that has kind of been more and more prevalent for me through the last couple of weeks is i think on one hand you also have to kind of just acknowledge and be okay with the idea that you cannot win them all. Politics is cyclical. You're going to be on both sides of the fence from time to time. It doesn't have to be viewed as, you know, extreme, um, uh, crisis. If, you know, everything is a crisis, nothing is a crisis. Um, and maybe, maybe Gorsuch really is one of the few things that should be considered crisis, but so many of the conversations I've been having, make everything a crisis, it's hard to know. Um, but the truth is, this is going to be the reality of being a member of the party that uh, doesn't happen to win the election, doesn't happen to have a majority yeah. in the Congress. And No, elections have consequences. And look, they held out. The Republicans did what they did. I, I, I honestly, I, I get not voting for Gorsuch. I, I've always said I would have done the same thing. I'm never going to be a U.S. senator, so thank God. Um, <laughs> but... The reality here is, all right, let's march on. Yeah, that battle is over. We died on that hill. It's over. Like it's 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 completed. The crescendo has occurred, and honestly, it went out with a kind of with like a fizzle. Americans didn't really care. Uh, the Senate was angry for about a day, uh, and he'll be sworn in on Monday, and that's the end of it. Yeah, that's the end of it. And and really. Uh, outrage over this is, I think, misdirected. 
Um, because this is life. Sure. Uh, this, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I guess I'll try to explain that a, a little bit. <laughs> this is the way it works. Uh, this is the U S constitution right. and sure. Uh, the Senate did not give a single hearing to Merrick Garland, and that's a disgrace, and it'll always be a disgrace. And Merrick Garland's nomination will will have its place in in the history books, but um, there's nothing more to be said or done. Uh, the The level of outrage now uh, from the far left should be tampered down. It, it, the battle's over. Um, right. We right. forced Mitch McConnell to change the rules. He can't like vote to change them back. I mean, there's no such thing. Uh, so, if we win the Senate, we'll just deny every single nomination sure. that that Trump puts up, and that's it. So, right. kind of a related question, but definitely not having anything really to do with Gorsuch specifically, but about the outrage and about the crises. Aren't we hoping to get to a point in this country where we can have, you know, bipartisan across the aisle dialogues where we get back to the principles of compromise and legislate and uh, see government run on a day to day basis in a a way that um, doesn't treat everything as us versus them? Yeah, and that needs to to be worked on. That needs to be work on, worked on because there are elements in both parties now that are completely unsalvageable. Uh, there are people on both sides of the equation who just believe that uh, their political counterpart is the be-all, end-all of humanity. Um, and and that needs to end. Uh, the Whether it's the... the people who, who believe that Trump voters are stupid or... And... I'm tired of hearing I guess that, by maybe the way. not just not just them, but uh the people who believe that uh, those who 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 perpetuate the whole uh, cuck thing and and the anti uh, the anti moderate conservative thing on the right and and that's kind of manifested itself in Steve Bannon. We'll get to him. um but yeah no we need to we need to calm down especially given the situation that the executive branch is in right now um if this turns out to really be just a more hilarious version of watergate we need to be a cohesive political body as a country uh all too often the united states seems like it's Republican United States and Democratic United States, and that's it. Yeah. We need to to remind ourselves that it's a a pretty normal, okay, and desired for thing for us to have interactions with people who don't agree with everything we do. Yeah. And to be able to walk away from that at the end of the day, um, still being civil to each other. Right now, there's so many, it seems like, battle lines drawn. Yeah, I urge. We're on the right. You're on the wrong. And maybe that's just the byproduct of this election cycle. This was a to... particularly venomous situation, though. I mean, we if we are to have that conversation sure. where we take a step back and talk about the rhetoric that, that Donald Trump employed uh, this go-around, it really did change American politics. It wasn't this bad when Mitt Romney ran. It wasn't even this sure. bad when uh, Obama ran for the first time. Um, he really did change something in American politics uh, where – 
he essentially said it's okay to to be on like to not be civil. Um, and a great you point. see that kind of uh, reflected in some of his supporters. Uh, well, I think not only his supporters, but his uh, detractors as well. I think they've yeah. taken the gloves Maxine off a bit Waters, more than they would yeah. have otherwise. I, I was disappointed in uh, Representative Maxine Waters when she made the comments that she did, uh, referring to the Trump administration as scumbags, I believe. I, I'm sure I misquoted that. Mm-hmm. But you refer to them as the administration, and it's not because you respect the individuals that are there. Like, Lord knows 50% of the human race probably hates Henry Kissinger, uh, but they I don't were know still. If, if, if they, they even know who he is, honestly. Yeah, well, if you, if they did, they'd probably hate him. Um, so, I I think at the end of the day, what we need to try to achieve is some level of civility, um, because we're not going to be able to do any of this uh, without being civil, and we can't have discussions about healthcare now because of it, right? Uh, so yeah, for the sake of the Democratic Party, calm down. <laughs> right, agree. For, and for all but, of our sake, we'll, just generally. But we'll talk about when it's when it's okay to not calm down. <laughs> sure, and, and that's right. Yeah. So that's on the table. It's got to be used in balance and proportion. So let's yeah. wrap on Gorsuch. Um, what, as far as the we'll call it the Trump justice theory. What are the practical outcomes, the practical consequences now of Gorsuch tilting the court in more of a conservative direction? Well, it means that if the the travel ban ever makes it way, makes its way to the Supreme Court, it's probably going to be upheld. Um, Is version three landing soon? <laughs> version three, iteration three. Yeah. Uh, he, I, I don't know. I, this whole concept of you just try, try again, I've never seen it, at least in my lifetime, but I've only seen two other presidencies, so what do I know? Um, I've never seen somebody resubmit a law. It, it's yeah. like a kid in college resubmitting a paper because there were typos <laughs> or like a missed citation. This well, is with, like the big league. With so I few mean, like meaningful changes, I just yeah. I, I've envisioned them in the White House going – why don't they pass this? Just, just send it back again. Change it. I mean, it's obvious. This thing should pass. You know, I don't think they're giving it some <laughs> like actual critical analysis for why it's not making it through the courts. They just continue to be baffled that it doesn't make it through the yeah, courts. Yeah, and, and and then and then Trump kind of makes the job easier for the ACLU or the states that are that are uh, opposing this bill in court. Um, by going out and saying, why don't we just go back to the original one? Which is what I wanted to do in the first place. And he sure. leans away from the mic like he's this frustrated, petulant child. <laughs> uh, and I can say that because I'm going to insult Richard Nixon and Jimmy Carter uh, eventually. Not not this episode, but I'm sure I will somewhere <laughs> down the line. Uh, I get to now. insult presidents. I am a, a, an American citizen. So all you <laughs> alt-right guys... Who won't watch? Listen to this anyway. So why do I care? Uh, hey, in, in this time, is going to be in time. The the listeners are going to be a bunch of liberals, and then my several conservative friends <laughs> who will listen to twenty minutes of this and then text me and like, "What the hell, man?" Well, you know what? Practice but, what uh, you preach. We got to aim this thing toward uh, getting the dialogue back, less extremism, yeah. less overreaction. Yeah. All right, so we wrapped on Gorsuch. Well, well yeah. go ahead, go ahead. So. Yeah, Gorsuch, it sucks. There's not much we can do about it. it th- that's life. Yeah. 
move on. That's we'll, it. We'll, we will, I'm sure, see the Supreme Court return to the news as he, he being an acting member. We'll see what they uh, they end up considering as far as cases and what they end up ruling on. But uh, let's jump from Gorsuch. We're going to stay in Trump land and let's talk about uh, two words that not many people understand, incidental collection. Yeah. Um, Susan so, Rice, give us the, give us the, the background whew, intro, the, the, the spicy, uh, the, the contextualization. spicy, uh, deets of what's going on. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so a bunch of alternative media sources. Uh, yeah, we'll call them that respectfully. Um, ran this story that Susan Rice had wanted to, Unmask, and I guess you'll explain what that means. Uh, some of the names, uh, well, not names, but entities in incidental collection uh, that that the um, Foreign Intelligence Service had been had been both analyzing and organizing and preparing to give to the President of the United States at the time, President Barack Obama, because he re- actually like received intelligence reports and. Uh, that needed to be done for him. Okay, uh, so but what Susan Rice had did had done was apparently, and this is probably not true, but we'll just repeat it again, uh, just to damage her reputation even further, because apparently that's what it, life is in the media. Um, Susan Rice wanted to unmask these names. So what happens is it'll say like person one interacted with Sergei Kislyak, right? Sure, yep. Um, and the rumor was that Susan Rice had wanted to unmask these names, right? So it would read Michael Flynn or whoever. Carter Page speaks with Sergei Kislyak. Um, and right. leak it to the public, I guess? So <sighs> I'm playing catch-up on this one, so help me understand. Um, who cool. is Susan Rice and what's her position? Like, What does she Susan do? Susan Rice... Okay, she was kind of she bounced around. So I'll just say national security. She's a national security advisor to the President of the United States. Okay, so um, former. What does she do now? Former. Now she survives hit jobs done by Republican senators, but outside of that, not much. <laughs> okay, so she was just um pushing for, holding the megaphone for calling for the unmasking of these names or is she actually in a position no. to actually No, no, no. All right, help me out. So even if she requested that this be done, it wouldn't happen. She has the right to see the unmasked version of of these reports. She has the the uh clearance, the security clearance to see that data. Um but what the the rumor was was that she this was while she was in the White House. Uh this was during the election or during no, during the transition period prior to the to the inauguration there are rumors that susan rice wanted to leak this information to the press so that the american people knew that michael flynn was talking to so-and-so or that carter page was talking to so-and-so whatever it was um and then i don't know who initially reported this because i haven't been watching television because i don't hate myself um that's a lie. I, I, I do watch some television. <laughs> that but I love quiet. myself. Quiet. But I just want um, you have that moment of deceit. <laughs> so it got picked up by 
a couple of news outlets. It then got perpetuated by some in the White House that this had happened uh, in during the former administration. It's not true. Uh, she came out and said that it's not true. There's no evidence that, that it's true. Uh, she could do this. If she wanted to leak it, she easily could have. Um, so that makes no sense. Okay, so I'm getting more clarity around this. This is yeah. Trump... The right, so, their supporters wanting to just uh, also <laughs> express outrage about something that happened in the past under the Obama administration because they or, find it or didn't shocking. Mostly did or did not. Did. But uh, so this, I'm getting so fucking sick and tired of this. And I would be feeling the same if it was the Democrats doing this. The past is the past, uh, and fundamentally, like, this has <laughs> nothing. Even if it did happen, who fucking cares? Like this has nothing to do with this current administration. With a majority in Congress, their ability to do anything, get anything done, or move the ball forward, uh, and move the country forward. Like, who cares? Like, no one is up for election. Susan isn't running for office. Uh, the Democratic Party isn't no, but jockeying she's, to create some but type she's of the, legislative she's the, outcome that this would influence. Yeah, she's the, the Benghazi punching bag, so I think what a lot of Republicans and Particularly Republican strategists employed by U.S. senators who are up for re-election said, holy crap, we have a name that our voting base has heard before in relation to Benghazi that we could throw into the ring again yeah. and make it part of the the the, the vote for uh, for against Senator Sherrod Brown. So, like... That's really all this is. This is a political move by people on the far right wing. Uh, I'm glad that some on the right are saying, yeah, this is BS and we're not going to worry about it. But a lot of other people are really trying to feed into this. I'm really disappointed with Rand Paul, but he's always kind of been a sellout version of his dad. So, boop. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm just going to throw this one in the bucket of the someone – uh, deciding it would be a good idea to throw the Trump base some more meat to get all riled up about, and yeah, it sounds like yeah. that's about it. There's nothing substantive. That's that's here. all it is. It's just more Trump red meat, and it's trying to smear the legacy of somebody who's really done their best to serve this country in in the capacity that they can. So it, it's just a shame, and, and both the mainstream media and these alternative media sites, both left and right, have kind of mischaracterized this. Although the left, not really, because of course, the battle lines are uh, the battle. Uh, the battle lines are drawn. Okay. So yeah. So we we are officially reprimanding. We're officially reprimanding you, mainstream media, for yeah. treating this as an actual Screw story. Screw you guys. All right. You guys suck. We we need to write them a letter. Have them on the show. Yeah. Put them in their place. <laughs> uh, all right. So <laughs> on from something completely unsubstantive to something that actually is. Uh, bearing out consequences in this administration. Kushner, Bannon, I don't know if there's a love triangle there between the two of them and Trump or if it's a foursome Uh, thrown in. But it seems like the dynamics might have shifted recently with Bannon being, you know, to whatever extent this is accurate, removed or asked to step down from the National Security Council. Yeah, he can still sit in on them, so I don't I don't care. He he's still there. Uh, this was just this was just a, a an act of good faith that I'm sure HR McMaster requested. 
um, to prove that Trump is an independent thinker and that this crazy alt-right media guy isn't going to be sitting in on NSC meetings, but we'll is, see. So. We'll see. I mean, the hopeful part of me says this is uh, evidence of McMaster and the rest of the group on the NSC um, kind of asserting themselves and, and getting things back in the lanes where they belong, which I think would be a great thing. Yeah. Um, if he's in the yeah. room still, okay. Uh, I mean, I've been a part of a number of teams and groups where the person formally leading the charge, um, you know, was replaced by someone else. And of course, that original individual um, in the interest of saving relationships and face and uh, really their pay grade uh, still stays a part of the team. But at the end of the day, they actually don't contribute anything. Uh, we'll see which direction this goes. I don't know if we'll have any conclusive evidence uh, we can rely upon to really make the call that Bannon's out of the conversation. Um, but we'll just there have were to see reports that, that he told Bannon to like work this out with respect to uh, healthcare. Like he was very frustrated. Trump was very very angry with uh, huh. the lack of results he had been seeing with uh, Bannon. So, well, that would make sense, right? So I think. A lot of people have put the theory out there that with um, Ryan Care, this was Trump saying, look, uh, GOP, let's see whether or not you can get anything through. And it uh, failed pretty, pretty drastically, pretty dramatically. So maybe he is saying, Bannon, go get this done. Yeah. What the I mean, hell that looks like, he, I have he, no he, idea. He, he was pretty pissed, uh, apparently. Uh, but these are all reports that could be all bullshit. Who knows? Um yeah, Jared Kushner has taken on quite a few responsibilities. He is, I think, going to fix the Middle East, uh, change the way government works, negotiate a deal with China, be the liaison to the relations between the United States and Mexico, renegotiate NAFTA. I don't know what this guy isn't doing. Well, uh, is he Superman? He's certainly not doing these things because Trump had evidence that he was capable of doing them. This is entirely no, a I trust mean, thing. And I don't want to be the guy that says, like, screw Jared Kushner, but part of me is, like, really, really pissed about this. Uh, you know, what, no, I, screw Jared Kushner, and here's not, why. Because why, why would he say no, though? Why would you expect uh, him to say, I can't do this for you? I know, but it's, it's the same way. It's the same thing that gets people, like, uh, Rick Perry as the Secretary <laughs> of Energy. Like, I... Who would say no? You don't say no to the president, but some people have. And yeah. and Jared Kushner should understand that if, if I can comprehend the fact that I know full well that Jared Kushner cannot achieve these objectives, then he can't. Like, if average Americans, if you and I sitting on this podcast are, are coming to the conclusion with the limited evidence that we have that this is going to be, by all accounts, a disaster – then it's probably going to be a disaster. If we can sense it, people in the IR sphere can sense it. Like, sure. Diplomacy is a craft. It's, it's a discipline. Yeah. And what makes us think that... Owning those skills. Yeah, what makes us think that, that Jared Kushner is going to solve the crisis in Syria and negotiate a peace deal between the PA and Israel. These are things that the likes of John Kerry, Jimmy Carter, and Hillary Clinton couldn't achieve. Well, this is 
This is how Trump works. This is how Trump functions. He creates and builds a trusted inner circle and sends them out to achieve whatever goals he's But, but it are, seems to only be his family. Like, well, it's because the only people I, I, he trusts. Why? A friend of mine made a comment, and at first I kind of disregarded it, right? That, that we're living under a real monarchy. Um, and I thought, oh, that's just liberal garbage uh, blowing smoke. But if you think about it, right, it, it's not necessarily a monarchy, but it is a family-run government, yeah. right? I mean, it's nothing resembling a monarchy and an actual well, shape and form and laws and the way government functions. But yeah, yeah. we are certainly um, – like all presidents are free to appoint whoever they'd like to appoint for particular cabinet positions, uh, for advisor positions. And he's done exactly what we should have expected him to do, which is follow the model that's worked for him for 50 years. But unfortunately, uh, running a nation – running the, the strongest, most influential nation in the world is a little more complicated than a, running a real estate company. Okay, first of all, real estate is not necessarily like a legitimate financial <laughs> societal institute. Like, it's not even a concept. Like, it's not like running ExxonMobil. It's, it's just... Yeah, no, the dynamics of succeeding real in real estate, estate it's not super, complex. No, it's incredibly simple. It's buy low, sell high, and then it's network and develop the relationships you can to have access to the properties before others. And then ideally, you influence the markets as well to drive the prices down when you're in a position to buy, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's nothing to do with your um, skills, uh, the complex skills needed to achieve any of these goals that Trump has laid out for Kushner. And Kushner's own background yeah. isn't all that dissimilar from Trump's. And so he doesn't have the practical experience to deal with any of these situations. But I think this is Here's what we're going to continue to get with Trump, though, is he's going to continue to go to and pull in those for whom the trust factor is there. But it's going to be interesting to potentially watch him completely unwind as those people continue to fail to achieve the outcomes that he wants. Because it, it's just the, the, the truth of of uh, the playing field right now, right? This is completely different. He's got Congress to contend with. He's got uh, whichever uh, representative might be up for re-election at the given time to contend with. He's got the Freedom Caucus to contend with. He's got all of the Democrats to contend with. Um, I, we're going to see what, how Trump handles continued, repeated failure and obstruction, um, something he hasn't really experienced before. Yeah, I mean, the way I always try to put it into perspective is what would the world be saying if Hillary, President Hillary Clinton appointed Mesvinsky, Sidney Blumenthal, and Chelsea Clinton to be personal advisors? Right. Like, there to be public outrage like we'd never seen before. CNN would be running 24-hour news coverage of whether or not there's a, a new global order and <laughs> right. the, the outrage the meter would be on order. tilt. Yeah. So the, the, the outrage meter is on tilt in a lot of respects, but it's on tilt in other ways, like screaming about Gorsuch and, uh, the Billy Bush tape still and things like that. And meanwhile, important 
positions are being handed to family members. And we don't see the same level of outrage. In fact, we see a lot of like liberal circle, like circular firing squads in, in, in whether or not it's right to criticize Ivanka Trump or for decisions that she's made or whether it's okay to criticize Melania Trump for remaining in New York City. Like, people need to get their ducks in a row when it comes to criticizing the administration. Like, I, I get it. All of these things are problems, but some are larger than others. And this idea that Jared Kushner is going to save the world, that he's going to be some grounding force in, in geopolitical affairs, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, he's just... I, I think it was John Lovett that said this. He said that it's just he's just a well a well mannered, handsome guy, and there are a lot of those. Like sure, sure, those are easy to come by. Luca's a well mannered, handsome guy, but I don't <laughs> know if I'd trust him. This is a personal friend with affairs uh, of the state. <laughs> like yeah. so. Well, there's 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 not the same response here because it's expected. It's not a surprise that Trump would do this. It would be a complete shock if Clinton did this. So on one hand, I think there would be the outrage, the new global world order kind of response. But there also would be the, you know, why play these cards, right? You you would never you've never done this historically. Uh, you're traditionalist, you're establishment, this doesn't make any sense. But with Trump, there's no prior expectation there. It's a completely clean slate. So no one knows how to react when he does this, partly because I feel like it hasn't this is the really least outsider before. thing you could do, though. This is like the least outsider thing you could do. You know, there's there's appointing businessmen and business people and people outside of Washington, political organizers that are from local political organizations. And then there's putting in your family. Like we've seen that before. Feudal Europe was pretty much just that. That's about as establishment as you get. <laughs> yeah, like, I would be curious to hear what the, creating, the people on the right are of, saying about it, though, because I would like to hear what they would answer for the basic just, question of, you know, how do you feel about someone who's, walks around who's unqualified for the job in the position? Well, I think a lot of people on the far right don't like Jared Kushner for reasons that I really don't want to repeat on air. Uh, on air, we're not, we don't do the radio show anymore. <laughs> it's, uh, it's close. Jared enough. Kushner we'll is it. Jewish. Yeah. And a lot of people on the alt, in the alt right, I'm going to surprise the two listeners that we have, don't like people who are Jewish. Okay, there, I got it out of the way. <laughs> um, but other than that, I, I really think it's just like, eh, he gets to appoint whoever he wants. As long as we're making America great again, whatever that means, we're achieving our goals. Yeah. I don't know if, if people are even paying attention all that much anymore. Yeah, I uh, and the question obviously at the center of all of this, and we'll I guess I'll leave Jared Kushner alone because maybe he's a nice guy. I don't know. Um, that photo of him though in a Kevlar va- uh, vest underneath a dinner jacket that was that was tragic. Um, <laughs> I missed that one. I'll have to check it out. Oh uh, no, I'll Google I'll text images. It to you right after right after we uh, we finish recording this. And, okay. Uh, Look yeah. forward to it. But uh, he's got good hair. His father-in-law doesn't. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the question really that's at the center <laughs> of all this. Okay. Which is where is our boy Stephen Stephen Bannon? Uh, well, if you uh, believe the thing that you mentioned earlier that he's kind of being redirected over to healthcare, 
he might be there. I don't know what in the Ew. world, what type of solution. Ew, get him concoct. away. Like, I, this is the man who talks about, um, I don't know what the right word here is, but essentially deconstructing, breaking down, administrative destroying state. from the inside out the administrative state and what he wants to build in his what? place. I have no idea. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, if you, you read the bandonisms around the world, you get some kind of idea. Um, I haven't done that just yet. I don't know it's if he's more spooky, of a libertarian, though. let the markets decide. He's more ben. of a Leninist, actually. Well, if I had to put my finger do, on it, he, he's Do we really know what Lenin's version of healthcare would look like? <laughs> um, potatoes and armed <laughs> conflict. Because you can't get sick if you're dead. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. Like he he believes, and I get this just ah oh my god. What well, like what you said in our last episode that my internet history is so weird. Like <laughs> my my browser history will indicate that I'm like some crazy neo fascist or something. But he believes that kind of the American culture is defined by by our our spirit in conflict. And his, he, his thesis essentially about postmodern American life is that ever since the post Vietnam era, ever since the flower children movement and, and the protests that essentially achieved the goal of, of getting our soldiers home from, from Vietnam, uh, he believes that we've been kind of a nihilistic, but self-obsessed culture and that we need to to realign ourselves, um, he's one of those anti-globalists. So what does that, that even probably mean? Like, means practically to be what? anti-globalist. No, no, no. The realign ourselves. Like oh, okay. What, is, so what, what does he think the realignment entails? He wants to see pre-World War One United States uh, back. Help me out. Which was like he wants to see an isolationist military power that flaunts its naval uh, capabilities and okay. ensures that every every man is working towards the furthering of the interest of the state, um, that the state is really defined uh, not through its administrative capabilities or its institutions, but rather it's just broad power. Hmm. Um, and that's scary, right? Like that, that we're defined by our, our military capacity rather than the strength of our institutions like healthcare or even just, I don't even know what this means anymore, but the economy, I'll put that in air quotes. Uh, I have, (laughs) I have no idea how to take any of that and turn it into healthcare. So I think we're just going to have to wait and see. He's a, he's a theoretical mess. He can't, he can't do healthcare. When he, when Trump said, clean it up, I think he was more, more broad and saying, get your act together. I think is what he meant. Uh, and, that, and I think that's across like the the political spectrum. Um, essentially, Trump wants to shift the narrative. That's it. Yeah. Bannon. He he just wants to shift the narrative. And ultimately, Bannon's it might a be a great guy. thing. Bannon out uh, of those circles. Yeah, I mean, it would suck because like he's so funny to look at. <laughs> I, I would kind of miss him. I would kind of miss him. Maybe he's a walking, walking example of why we need healthcare reform in this country. The man's about to die. Yeah. The next steak eat. Yeah, he, he he looks like the human manifestation of eczema. Okay, <laughs> not not outrage, <laughs> civilized, uh, friendly guy. Uh, Way to bring uh, us all together. Yeah. 
back toward the yeah, middle, yeah. have nice friendly dialogues. Yes. All right. Well, let's let's let's, let's so, move on from Mr. Let's Bannon. Move on. We'll revisit <laughs> him in the future. I am sure. Um, we got a couple minutes left. Let's uh, let's look at wrapping on maybe some of the global perspective of what the first what are we now four months in January, February, March. Yeah, three and a half, four months in of, of President Trump. Um, this is going so slowly from the outside in. Um, what's what are the takeaways? What are the themes? What does the rest of the world? I think the think theme is oh, Mr. oh Trump. crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I you know what <laughs> that, I think. I think I a lot of the theme is hallelujah. I'm going to be honest with you, especially from a really? China perspective. Um, oh yeah, because well. the United States is severely less capable than it was before. Less put together. Less fluid um, in global affairs. Uh, China yeah. is building uh, trade relationships with uh, every single country that uh, fell out of uh, the withdrawing of the TPP. TPP yeah. um, I think there's a lot of countries out there that are hey, perfectly Corey, happy do you finally, with the U.S. being less influential. Do you finally... S- I'm going to have to interrupt you because I really <laughs> want this to be I like, know where you're going. I want to thumb my nose at you for just a few seconds. That's okay. Hey, do you finally see why the TPP matters? No, I still, I still stand on Damn the fence that the right. TPP was, go, was. Go on. It needed. There needed to be something different, and ne- we Ugh. needed to pursue that direction. We the fought this battle. It's dead. We're arguing over the corpse of a dead bill. <laughs> All right, let's not be. Let's not be. Uh, what we're just accusing. Uh, the all right of, which is dragging up all the shit from the past. Distract. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is what it is. It happened. Countries like China are, are happy that we are where we are at because they now have the ability to wield much more power and influence around the world in a number of different regions. And they're happy to let the United States to continue to flail around all over itself with its relations with uh, other countries around the world. Um, so I think some countries, not all, obviously, there are many that are dependent on a strong United States that are reacting, I think, exactly like you said. But I do think our greatest, strongest competitors, um, natural enemies, natural opposition, are very happy to see the current state of affairs. Yeah, well, the EU is going to need a new pair of shorts. But um, other than that, <laughs> our allies are looking to us for kind of i hate to say leadership because it's such a an american centric perspective and and i resent that sometimes when looking at international relations like americans believing that we're kind of supposed to be the tip of the spear and that we're the most important player and that nobody else matters but for a lot of things just because of our economic reach and unfortunately our military capacity we are that player um and when it comes to issues like NATO, uh, when it comes to maintaining the importance of the EU, I think the United States had a prominent voice. And I don't know how how loud our megaphone is anymore. It's still prominent and it still carries weight and it's still influential, but it's certainly on yeah, the Yeah, but now it's like trend. a bull in a china shop. Yeah, everyone is... Kind of loud. I, I think looking at... The United States position not only as something to potentially set the the um, the guiding path, but also as something to potentially uh, avoid 
something that needs to be looked at and analyzed as potentially the wrong path, as something to potentially be avoided. Um, and that's totally due to the lack of cohesive, strong leadership. You know, that, that is not Trump, despite how um, bold and brash he may feel he is. Did you even um, read The Art of the Deal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm uh, just No, because he didn't write it, uh, first of all. It was completely <laughs> ghostwritten. I think he probably, you know, narrated a little bit to the actual author. But Yeah. Well, no, I know we're... we were supposed to be, like, really upset this segment, but can I give one, like, possible positive more the from better. all this? The more the better. Cool. So, like... Wilders lost in the Netherlands. His party yep. lost. And I think I'd be remiss to say that it had nothing to do with what's going on over here. Right? I think that a lot of people, you know, gazed across the pond and said, Eek, that doesn't yeah. seem to be working out really well. Yeah. We uh, probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> so and and Fareed Zakaria and a couple of other IR theorists um, whose names now all escape me. But Fareed Zakaria has a TV show, so I know who he is because I'm an American and we watch TV. <laughs> um, but <laughs> side point. Um, they, they're they saying that this might be like the last great gasp from far right politics. Uh, I don't know if that's true or right. Um but it seems like, uh, I mean, looking at the standing of Marine Le Pen, even though she performed decently in that debate against Macron, uh, which I totally just mispronounced, but um, I think that a lot of people around the world are looking at the United States and saying, hey, they drank the Kool-Aid and it didn't work out. Yeah. I mean, or it hasn't worked out yet. Britain and Brexit, the United States now with Trump. Um, we're getting some actual evidence about what these types of politics look like in practice and how it's going to affect things economically, politically. Um, but I, I feel like it's more of a cyclical thing than it is the last gasp for breath of these types of politics. Yeah. I think it waxes and, and wanes. I think what we'll see is a... a it's so incredibly the unpopular. The swing back in the other direction. And I think again. it'll stay there longer. I think its time here will be shorter than it traditionally has. I think the traditional conservative, um, I hate to say him conservative because Trump is not a conservative, but whatever Trump is, whatever the alt-right is, whatever the, the yeah. get the refugees out of our country is in the European Union, um, it's being left behind by progress and humanity and evolution, it doesn't <laughs> Would follow. Would you look at that? <laughs> so I think whatever that is um, has a limited lifespan. And, yeah. And um, it's going to scream loudly on its way out. But I, I do think there will always be some sort of counterforce. I think the laws of physics always apply. There's always an equal and opposite reaction. I think something yeah, will I arise, mean, but I don't think it's going to be what we're seeing today from Part of Trump. part of what you said is 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 disheartening to me, and uh, and in that I believe this too that that it's cyclical, that it's totally just based on kind of a pendulum swinging back and forth, right? Regardless of the duration uh, 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 on which side it is, but uh, we've gotten to the point, at least in American politics, where 
the role of at least the Republican Party, we don't know what Democrats will do when they eventually get power uh, or, or just some the, – the progressive side of things, the more left-leaning uh, part of the spectrum uh, gain power. Is it essentially going to be – and we've, we've seen this more from the right than we have from the left. We've seen it pretty much kind of specifically only from the right where the goal of the Republican Party is to just unravel everything that the, the last administration and the last Congress achieved. Yeah. Why, why does it have to always be we have to undo everything? Well, because that's what it was in – in 2010, 2012, 2014, and now 2016, and now they're doing it, and it's like the last eight years didn't exist. In fact, it's slightly worse now. I mean, the, the, we have repealed the the regulations on asbestos, on asbestos. Right. In, in the 21st century, we've done this. Right. Like, what the hell? I mean, the, sometimes it really is that deep where where <laughs> – it's just so stupid um, that it makes no sense. Uh, it's and you it's and not me, like these are right? Consu- so that, uh, but it's but these aren't even conservative solutions. Who's who's in favor of asbestos? So it's not that granular. That doesn't happen because the party decides to take a platform, a pro asbestos uh, position. It happens because the party says we want the marketplace. We believe the marketplace is better suited <sighs> to solve these types of problems than government. And good, I, bad, I right, or wrong. A little more cynical than you. So, but I, but I don't think that it's that specific. I don't think anyone says um, asbestos is. Fine. I'm sure it was private asbestos. industry that put pressure that put pressure on Congress and through Congress put pressure oh, on the executive branch to roll back regulations. Yeah. And I'm sure asbestos 100%. was just one piece of oh, that. A million times fa- over. But that sucks. I mean, yeah. that is not how a a a democratic republic should operate. Well, that is fundamentally fundamentally how it shouldn't be, operate. To be fair, that has nothing to do with either party in the sense that no. if you're looking for the root cause, it has only to do with um, capitalism. Campaign finance. Capitalism. At the end of the day, it's capitalism. Mm. Because as long as there's a the root of our entire economy uh, is the drive for a continual quarter over quarter growth in profits and revenue um, as the sole measure of success in our economy and success uh, for individual corporations, um, the incentives all align to make these types of things happen. And maybe that's okay in the sense that it's good to have the economy driven by those types of dynamics, but we have to acknowledge the negative consequences that come from that and then guard against them. And it's not something we're doing today. It should be the role and the responsibility of government. It's not something we were bots. doing the past eight years. Industry I mean, owns it, government. Mm, so I, I, I will firmly disagree with the Iron Triangle. But what I will say is that industry has an impact on government because industry has an impact on voters and and because of the lack of campaign finance regulations that we have and because of citizens united um they can definitely place their thumb on the scale uh but before we get going i want to make one uh last assertion and ask one last question of you um 
what happens now with respect to Syria to kind of bring it all back to because we just spent the last podcast I don't know how long it's been because <laughs> I don't have the time with me <laughs> um, as you can as you can hear um, given sort of the the administrative nature of this White House and where authority lies and who gets to call the shots. What happens on the Sunday shows tomorrow? Um, who knows when this episode will be up. But what do you think is going to be the the impact of these strikes in Syria, of the strike in Syria? Because I feel like that's the most important thing that occurred this week. And I think that's the one thing that needs to be kind of on the record for this regular Joe analysis <laughs> of, of foreign policy. And I, I think we're about as close as it'll get to to a politically interested group of regular Joes. Um, what happens? Um, well, so the only honest answer is no one knows, right? But that's you can't just begin and end there. Um, so I think now we can make a, a cop out. Come we on. can make a guess, and we can we can make a wager. So in the immediate term, we've pushed Syria and Russia closer together. Uh, in the immediate term, we're going to start having some conversation. We're going to revisit the conversation around whether or not the president should be able to uh, conduct military action like this unauthorized from Congress. So we'll have that dialogue and that debate again. Um, but as far as what this uh, does for this country and kind of the global community in Syria in the long term, you don't know, and that's war. Uh, because a single incident one day can shift the entire trajectory of an entire engagement or an entire country. 9-11 never happens. We are not where we are today. Um, and that was a singular moment a few hours in time. So yeah. considering and trying to come up with an answer for what happens next because we fired 59 Tomahawk missiles at Syria, I don't know. Um, I would say <laughs> that you yeah. can look at your... Uh, Department of Defense, your five military branches, and I would I would say it's fair to have a, a, a fair amount of confidence in their ability to manage and deal with and respond to this type of situation. The wild card is Trump, obviously, because he's the commander in chief and he's the one that decides where to aim the gun and when to pull the trigger. Um, but this is one of those things where we just have to wait and see. Um, yeah, because there's no there's no way to answer that question, honestly. Yeah. So I hate to disappoint you. Um, no, I'm kind of bummed now. I mean, I, I was thinking, the, I, here, so here's my... To be more detailed... My, oh, sorry. Let me just... Uh, one thing no, I would no, say... No, 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 no. I would say yeah, for, no, no, absolutely. for certainly right now, the ball's back in uh, Assad's court. Yeah, so that's a, exactly a big part of what's going to happen yeah. next is going to depend on what Assad and, and Putin decide yeah. to do together. I, 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 I was just about to comment that now it's kind of... Assad's turn to make a decision. Yep. We we heard the response from Dmitry Peshkov. Um, it's meaningless. Uh, the U.S. has said that the deconfliction line, as of Saturday night, is when this podcast was recorded, is still live. That line is 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 still there. Um, so they did nothing uh we did this thing and now we're just seeing uh we're just sitting and waiting to see how how uh, assad reacts um i think part of this was 
uh, Assad kind of believed that Trump wouldn't intervene, uh, given his rhetoric. I, I think his advisor said it's unlikely that the United States will respond, no matter how egregious the act. So he did it. Um, and now the response has been uh, provided, I guess is the right word. <laughs> um, now the ball is back in his court, and yeah. and this will now the the narrative will change based on how he reacts. Well, and understand, undeniably, his reaction, whatever it may be, is going to be the byproduct of long and continued conversations and strategy and planning with Putin and Russia. Um, this is going to be a jointly decided direction that the country decides to take um, with longer term goals in mind. Uh, and if we have an understanding even... around what Putin's goals have been, it's been to continue to disrupt. Uh, Eastern Europe, uh, from annexing Crimea to backing Assad to allowing the chaos and disruption to continue in the Middle East um, and in Syria. So we'll see. Uh, if you if you're looking toward broader strokes, broader strategies that may help better predict where this goes, I think you have to consider Russia and 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 Putin's goals and Putin's long term objectives as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll yeah, we see. will. <laughs> All right. Well, let's Alrighty. let's wrap here. Um, episode two with, uh, with zero authority. Two regular guys that are just uh, pontificating on what's going on in the world. Uh, will, it's been great. It's been great. Thanks so much for, uh, for having me, for hosting me on your, <laughs> on your Skype. We'll uh, continue to do this. We'll continue to overcome the technical challenges. And everyone listening, thanks yeah. for being with us. I've got the spirit, lose a feeling, let it out somehow.